Jeremy Scott, good to be with you here back in the flesh after a three-year absence. I hope all of you are well, and thank you so much for joining us here at the Oregon Ghost Conference. It's uh, always awesome to come out here to do the show and to talk with such great people who I wouldn't get the opportunity to speak to otherwise. And one of those is right here with me as we're kicking off without any further ado. She is Karen Frazier. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so you are a psychic medium. You're a channeler. You're an energy healer. You're a Reiki master teacher. You write and teach about spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal, and vibrational energy healing. You explore topics such as dream interpretation, metaphysics, alchemy, crystals, psychic phenomena, and the survival of consciousness after death. Does that about sum it up? <laughs> I like to cook and I make cocktails too, so there you go. Well, I guess you uh, you do it all. Uh, so, what what did you uh, what was your presentation about here at the Oregon Ghost Conference? So, I have a couple. I did a singing bowl concert last night, a sound healing concert, and then today I taught a class about energy healing. And this evening I'm talking about poltergeists, so I'm kind of running the gamut in in topics. Okay. So, you intrigued me when you said poltergeists. Now, when we talk about poltergeists. How do you define those? Um, I define a poltergeist as recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, something called RSPK. Mm -hmm. It is actually a parapsychological concept, and it is um, basically bursts of psychokinetic energy, whether from a living person or a spirit, that causes things to move and things to happen, noises, knocks, things that fly across rooms, usually not that that epic but sometimes that yeah so noisy but uh past kind of disruptive uh kind of uh you know to put uh, a, a wrench in between you and i don't know maybe someone I, i've heard stories about uh, these poltergeists like interfering in relationships and that sort of things they can and typically the poltergeists that interfere in relationships come from human beings versus i mean living human beings versus spiritual energy sometimes it is spiritual energy what do you mean by that um, so you've heard probably of the typical teenage girl, right? Who is the poltergeist. She is going through adolescence and all of a sudden plates start, start flying out of the cupboards and yep. pans start. Um, so that is a, it's a stereotype, but it's a stereotype for a reason that during adolescence, for instance, a teenage girl or a teenager period has all of these feelings based on hormones that they don't understand and they bury them and it comes out as bursts of energy. And so it can be any living person who's having suppressed emotional issues that can cause these bursts of energy. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times when they interfere in relationships like that, it's that there are relationship issues that are occurring and that somebody is releasing that energy unknowingly through these bursts of psychokinesis. Would you think that everything or everyone um, has some sort of energy? Oh, we all have energy. Absolutely. And I really wish that I was somebody who could do this and make things move. I can't. I would love to. Um, but what I would think... You, what would you do if you, if you could use that power? If I could use that power, honestly, I would sit on the couch and let the dishes do themselves. <sighs> That's a good one. Yeah. Isn't that known as the dishwasher, though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I, I digress. Or kids, but my kids are adults, so. But you still have to rinse them. You have to wash the dishes yeah, that's before true. you put them in the that's dishwasher. True. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Any so, other any other uh, what else thing you would use I that do? for? Um, I mean, I think I might use it to like mess with my dogs or my kids or hmm. you know things like that. Yeah, just for fun. Like you know, take stuff, move it around, that yeah. sort of thing. Like sure. We've all lost our car keys or our wallet. Oh, or I lose my car keys all the time. That's whatever. that's just what happens. I mean, so I, I could use it to find my car keys, maybe levitate them and bring them to me so I could spend a lot less time looking for them. So can energy be used to heal? Absolutely. So I, um, yes and no. Energy, we are all energy. You're energy. I'm energy. Everybody listening to us or watching us is energy. And um, so we all have energy that flows through us. And when that energy becomes disrupted in some way, it leads to symptoms, whether it's illness, whether it's um, physical illness, mental illness, spiritual issues, relationship issues, all of those things um, are the result of disrupted energy. And so you can undisrupt that energy by either applying energy or absorbing energy. And that's how you can bring about healing. And through what methods? Oh, well, it can be anything. It can be intention. You can use crystals. You can use hands-on energy healing like Reiki. Um, People use affirmations and visualizations for that, meditation for that. I do sound healing for it, and I also do Reiki. Well, you know, you you read (laughs) Sound healing. Um, That's an interesting one. Sound is very powerful. Yeah, sound is incredibly powerful. So I have a background in music. So sound is incredibly important to me. And when I started working in energy healing, I really realized that I wanted to bring this musical background that I had into my healing work. And so you can do sound healing simply by, by chanting mantras like OM or by chanting vowels or things like that. But you can also do it through things like I do, like playing singing bowls, which is way more fun than chanting. So so explain that process and, and, and what, what the idea of that is. So sound is vibration, right? If, I, if there was not a vibration coming from my voice and striking your eardrums, you wouldn't be hearing me speak. The vibration comes from me, it strikes your eardrums, and you hear it. So sound is vibration, and everything that we are is vibration. We're vibrational energy. We're a bunch of little bits of energy that have come together to form something that's seemingly solid, but really Mm -hmm. what we are are vibrating strands of energy. And sometimes those vibrating strands of energy don't vibrate at quite the right frequency to present as health or well-being. And so with sound, I can play a frequency that basically tunes someone else's energy using a principle of physics called entrainment, which I would be happy to explain if you want. Um, And that entrainment can bring the energy to a different degree so that the body energy or the spiritual energy is vibrating in a more optimal state. And that can create healing. And... Can humans pick up this sound, or is it on a frequency that we have to tune into? Oh, on the sound healing? No, they're singing bowls. So it sounds like me playing a bunch of really peaceful bells. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, do, do people don't need to train themselves in order to, uh, or, or anything that they need to, pre- any way that they need to prepare themselves for this, clear their mind, no. anything like that? Well, I, you, I always tell people to be open to it, mm-hmm. because the person who is not open to healing is probably not going to heal. And so with somebody where to come to my sound bath or sound healing, I have them lay down or get comfortable, as comfortable as they can. I ask them to just 
focus on the noise and focus on the sound. I shouldn't call it noise. Focus on the sound and the vibration and just allow whatever comes up to arise. Allow it, release it. And if you notice your mind wander, return it to the sound. So it's like a focus meditation, but it's a vibrational focus meditation. And this works on people and pets? Does it? Yes, plants, plants? people, pets, plants. The uh, universe inanimate objects, things sure. that aren't living? Everything vibrates. So okay. although a rock isn't living, it's still vibrating. <laughs> Some folks be living under a rock. But um, <laughs> Haven't I, we all been living I, I under a rock recently? Uh, so can you use this energy healing in order to influence things that are happening? So kind of. Okay. Um, and, and by that, what I mean is that if you bring your own vibration to the highest frequency you can through entrainment, you can also raise the vibration of other things because basically entrainment is that objects vibrating at different frequencies in proximity to one another meet somewhere in the middle. So the lower vibration thing rises, the higher vibration thing lowers. And so if you vibrate higher and you are next to someone who vibrates lower, their vibration is going to come up. Yours is going to come down a little bit, but you know how to reset it to bring it back okay up. how do we reset it you reset it through meditation you reset it through healing practices through going out in nature that's how i reset nature is my church uh-huh. i go out in nature i sit with my back against a tree i stand on the edge of a canyon i you know i do things like that that's how i recharge people have other ways they do it but it's doing things that pos- are positive and make you feel good yeah so how do you use your gifts as a, a psychic medium uh, to deal with uh, with what we perceive to be ghosts? Oh, boy, how long you have? How long you have me here uh, for? 12 minutes. 12 minutes. <laughs> so um, I, a lot of ways. So first of all, I can perceive where things are happening because I have what I call my spidey sense. I walk into a room and I can feel where I think we all have a little bit of that. Yeah, I have a lot of spidey sense. Like I walk into a room and I go, (laughs) and as soon as my spidey sense goes off, I know I can tell, for instance, if I'm working with the team, I can tell them, hey, set up your equipment here, spend some time here. You can try to communicate. You can see what's going on. For me, my goal mostly is one or is are two things. First of all, I want to work with the living people because I want to help them to understand what's happening. And I want to help them to achieve a level of comfort in knowing what's happening, why it's happening and how they can either communicate with it or create a space where maybe it doesn't occur when they sleep or it occurs outside of their house instead of inside of their house. So I always want to work with the living people and then... On the dead people side, I communicate with them and I find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. I ask them, why are you here? What's going on? Is there something I can help you with? I talk to them about, you know, you don't have to be here. If you'd like to go, you can. I never tell them they have to. Um, But I just let them know the options that are available to them and so that they can choose maybe something else. Because for some spirits that are sticking around, it's serving their highest good to be around still. They need to still be what I call ego identified, identified with their living person versus their soul. And they need that for something that has to do with the journey of their higher spirit. And those are the types of things I try to find out. And then I just let them know the things they can do. You know, the saying goes, you you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, Dealing with ghosts, have you ever had like stubborn ghosts that didn't want to, but uh, whoever you were dealing with was, was adamant that this spirit be banished? 
So I, I don't, I'm not a big banishing person. So my, when that, yes, I've seen that. And basically what it becomes is a negotiation where we broker a, a piece where we come up with a way that look, you can stay here, but don't bother us. Don't bug my kids. Don't bug my animals. As a matter of fact, I have some spirits in my house. They choose not to leave. Um, and I've just told them don't bug me when I'm sleeping because I hate to be awakened by stuff like that and don't bug my dogs. And when my kids were small, it was don't, don't bother my kids too. And so, yeah, you just come up with a way you, you basically mediate. So I'm kind of a mediator. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that they obey those ground rules that you lay down? Well, people are people, right? Some people obey ground rules. And it's so not, it goes, it's right? not obey, it's respect. Yeah. I don't like the word obey. Um, because you're talking about people who are disembodied. So there's still people who are behaving like people if they're ego identified. And therefore, it's not necessarily obey, it's respect for boundaries. And if they didn't respect people's boundaries in life, chances are they may not respect people's boundaries after they've passed. And if that's the case and you just can't broker a piece, it may be time for the living people to move on or just learn Mm -hmm. to live with it. Yeah, learn to live with it. Yeah, Uh, that's a a tough one. Uh, What about consciousness? Uh, I've always been fascinated by consciousness. The audience knows that. We've done many shows about consciousness. It's still a mystery that hasn't been solved. Uh, I think we're closer now, though, than we've ever been. Uh, I also think that consciousness is kind of what relates everything together as we talk uh, about under the paranormal or the paranormal umbrella. How do you view consciousness? I view consciousness as the energy from which we came before we were born and to which we return after we die. And consciousness is just an energy that underlies everything. And really, although we exist in separate embodied vehicles of consciousness my consciousness is no different than yours we are the same we just have different shells around it so consciousness is merely source energy we come from it we return to it and it's with us the entire time we're in bodies as well so does it survive us after death consciousness i believe it does i've had enough experiences in talking to spirits both on this side and the other side um i've had life between life hypnotherapy sessions which is amazing i've had past life regression hypnotherapy sessions i've um interviewed a lot of people who have had things like near-death experiences and all of those things and i 100 percent believe that it it survives bodily death because you can not destroy energy you can only change its form Without consciousness, do you think that uh, maybe some of this ghostly phenomenon wouldn't wouldn't then be possible? I can't imagine there not being consciousness. I, I, I can't answer that question because I don't know. Because consciousness just is... If we take consciousness out of the equation, I guess, then what's left? Right. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's a head scratcher, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I like those kinds of questions. Yeah, me too. I, those are the ones that make you lay awake at night staring at the ceiling thinking about. What about contact with the dead? Have you interacted with, with deceased spirits and I guess in what capacity? Um, as a medium, I do actually readings for people. Um, it's not my primary thing as a medium, but sometimes when I'm doing a psychic reading with someone, dead people come through. I've done it on investigations. Um, I sometimes just will go somewhere when we travel and I'll have it happen spontaneously. And so 
Yeah, I mean, I interact with them all the time. Is that what you asked? I forgot the question. Uh, yeah, maybe can you tell us about some of those stories of, of contacting, you know, spirits on the other side? Maybe some of the messages that they've sent back for the living? Sure. I can't tell specifics because I believe in being very confidential with my Understood. with my clients. Um, but I can tell you about when my father died and he came back and talked to me. Um, he, my dad passed about three years ago. He died of cancer. And it was very sudden, which it sounds weird with cancer, right? But he was diagnosed, and two weeks later, he was gone. Wow. Sorry. And thank you. And we were in the hospice with him and as he was dying. And my mother and sister are very religious. They were also in the room with us. And I didn't want to tell them anything that I was experiencing because it would, it would scare them. But my husband was with us as well. And I actually felt spirits come in from my father. And I actually signaled to my husband and said, this is going to be his last breath. And it was. And as we were driving back to the hotel, you're kind of numb when that happens, right? As we were driving back to the, from the hotel, I kept hearing my dad's voice. And I kept thinking, well, this is just wishful thinking. This isn't really happening. This isn't real. And he was describing all these things. And I'm seeing this and this is happening. And my husband went down to the car to get something in the hotel room. And I kept hearing this. And I said, I said, Dad, I know this isn't you. This is just wishful thinking. And he pulled my hair. Somebody actually yanked my hair. And he said, God damn it, Karen Lynn, listen to me. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, was that a one and only appearance or have there he, been others? He has come to me through mediums. Um, I hear from him from time to time, but I still believe it's wishful thinking sometimes. Okay. So if, if somebody's like listening to this or watching yeah. this and they're thinking, I, I think I'm, you know, getting a message from so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, are there things that maybe they can try to determine whether or not they're actually interacting with that person or not? Yeah. Um, so the easiest way for spirits to come to people who are struggling with it is dreams. Um, when somebody dies, it's not going to be right away. Sometimes it's right away, but usually it's a few weeks to a few months before mm -hmm. they come to you. And there is, and it's easier to come to somebody when they're asleep because they set aside that stuff that I had with my dad. This isn't you. This is wishful thinking, right? When you're asleep, all of your defenses are down. And so... They come to you and it's a very real dream. So real, it's almost hyper real. It's this, it feels very different. Those are visitation dreams. Um, that's one way. Sometimes they'll leave things for you. They'll send signals. You can even say, you know, if this is you, leave me a penny on the bed, like where you wouldn't find a penny or something. And I've done that before and found a penny on the bed and found a penny on the piano and all of those things. Uh, dreams, are those more important uh, than we believe? Dream, well, it depends. Some of them. A lot of dreams are just common processing dreams. There are you going through your day, sorting your memories, putting them away. But when you have the dream where you wake up the next morning, you think, holy crap, what did I eat last night? Was it pizza? That was such a weird dream. Those are usually symbolic dreams, and it is your higher self trying to tell you something or your shadow self trying to tell you something. Very interesting. Author Kevin or KarenFraser.com, your website. Any other uh, links folks should follow? Tell us about your products, your services, what you offer. So I have written a lot of books. My two most recent books are The Ultimate Guide to Psychic Abilities and Essential Crystal Meditation. You can find them wherever you can get books. And, um, you know, if you go to my website, I've written a lot of books, so we don't have time for me to list them all. But a lot of them, they're in the energy, healing, psychic, and crystal space.
Fantastic. I appreciate you so much coming on and joining us here live from the Oregon Ghost Conference here for Karen Frazier, and we'll have Ross Allison and Chad Goodwin coming up here in just a couple of moments, uh, ladies and gentlemen, so stick around for that. And I also want to let you know it will be back here on Sunday as well for those listening in Portland on FM News 101 KXL. If you're thinking about what to do on Sunday, there's another full day of events coming here at the Oregon Ghost Conference uh, Sunday, a full day here at the Seaside Civic and Convention Center. Uh, Karen, tell me this. Have you ever in any of your in encounters or dealings like ran away screaming, vowing never to return? Yes. I have. But it yes, at the at the Lewis County Historical Mu- Museum one night we were sitting and watching some things, really weird things happening and lights and things and all of a sudden there was a huge bang and I thought holy crap, somebody just drove by and shot out the windows. And so my vowing, running and screaming to run away was because I thought people were shooting at us. It turned out that what it was was a pen at the sign-in book that was about um, 20 yards away had been thrown violently by an unseen hand from the front desk and bounced off a display, and it sounded like somebody was shooting out the windows. But it was because I thought we were being shot at that I was scared. But no, 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 ghostly uh, encounters or, no. or something that you've that you've backed down from. No. So no, no matter how noisy or evil or threatening they can be, uh, you're still going to be right there investigating. I'm going to run toward them. You're going to run toward them. Yeah, that's, that's my kind of gal. Yeah. Live here from the Oregon Ghost Conference, we'll return. Ross Allison and Chad Goodwin coming up. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Normal news. Amidst tensions during Russia's invasion of Ukraine, NASA astronaut Mark Vandehey is set to fly back to Earth from the International Space Station aboard a Russian Soyuz spacecraft next week. He'll make the trip alongside two cosmonauts, says Joel Montalano, manager of NASA's International Space Station program. We have on March 30th uh, the return of a Soyuz, a return of Anton, Piotr, and Mark. And I can tell you for sure, Mark is coming home on that Soyuz. Uh, we are in communication with our Russian colleagues. There's no fuzz on that. The invasion has strained Russia's many space partnerships. The trio will touch down Wednesday in Kazakhstan. NASA will be waiting to assess Vanda Hayes' physical condition after spending nearly a year in microgravity. This is Daniel Brewer. Fair Abnormal News. Come in this room. Come touch me. Touch. One of the five senses we can't live without. It helps guide us through our lives. Touch gives us warmth and comfort, as well as pain and suffering. But what about those stories of people getting touched by ghosts and spirits? People getting scratched and molested by something unseen? How is this happening? Is it real or fabricated? And if it is real, what could it mean? Even though science has yet been able to prove or disprove these strange encounters through the years of patterns and consistency shows us the phenomenon is true. 
I think you're on the right path. I think you're at kind of a precipice where you can literally show that humans have an experience that has an objective piece to it, which at the very least should get other scientists interested in looking at that question. My whole research process is trying to bring in a more scientific basis. People need to understand that this is not just your bells and whistles that you see on ghost hunting shows. This is real science. I'm going to really do my best to try to find information and data that suggests that this is a real thing that we're looking for. It was here in D-Block that changed everything for me and for me. At the exact time that I was scratched, looking at the larger data set, you can see anomalies in the PIR and ultrasonic sensors. We can use that data to then create an animation showing what happened in approximate real time. So it looks like whatever it was moved toward me and did away very quickly. When dealing with the paranormal, you have to be prepared for just about anything. When the spirits are truly the ones in charge, the question is, how does the body perceive these experiences? What are the cause and effects of when this happens? And most of all, how do you prove these intimate encounters? For the first time in history, our journey into this untapped realm has only just begun. When the lights go down, the strange comes out into the paranormal. There you have it. It's the uh, trailer for Parasense, which debuted uh, right here at the Oregon Ghost Conference last night at the Times uh, Theater. And in the film Parasense, The Naked Experiments, Ross Allison uses his 30 years of experience in the paranormal field along with scientist and inventor Chad Goodwin as they try to prove the physical aspects of ghosts touching the living by taking willing individuals who are naked into haunted locations. It's good to have you guys back here again at the Ghost Conference. We talked to you last week, and uh, we got a lot of interesting uh, comments on and the show as I'm sure you guys have gotten a lot of interesting comments about the film so welcome oh, oh yeah thank you thank <laughs> you for having us back so tell us about how the concept came to be um, how you came up with with doing this experiment these experiments you as a paranormal investigator of about 30 years have done a lot of investigations um, over the years and it's all about learning and growing and, and trying to solve the next thing we've set out to and 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 you've set out to prove touch how did you get to this point well uh, touch has been reported since the beginning of paranormal activity a lot of people have had these experiences and um unfortunately it's always been such an intimate experience and after having a case of a young man telling me that while he was working in a brothel something fondled him I was just like, well, you know, it's just another one of those cases where it's their personal experience and I have to take their word for it. Yeah. And I got to thinking, it's like, well, how could I prove that? And, and I started questioning, has anybody ever tried to prove that? And to my surprise, no one's ever took it to this level of trying to prove touch. 
and it just kind of took off from there. I, I started developing all these experiments, and I was getting some interesting results with these experiments, but I was still not getting the data that I needed to validate their personal encounter. And that's when I looked over to, to Chad, who I had actually done a few of his shows. He did a, uh, a science show, and I thought, you know what? Maybe this guy might be able to help me out. And here's Chad Goodwin, inventor and scientist. Tell us about what you've patented and, and about how you come at this project. Well, I've worked in energy storage, so I did nanostructured materials for different types of applications there, and I have a range of patents in that space. And then, um, you know, oh, did boy, the, let's not forget the flux capacitor. Yes, I have a, <laughs> a working flux capacitor. Um, it won't take you back to the future yet, but we'll see what happens. One day. In the future. No. Maybe. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, I did the radio show, and I gave Ross some ideas. He had me look at his equipment, and he just kind of inundated me. With it. He was like, look at all this stuff. And I was like, wow, it's interesting. So we, I talked a little bit, and then kind of didn't produce anything and then we had him on another radio show and the same thing happened i got busy doing stuff with experiments and whatnot yeah we'd make this great connection talking about all these great ideas you were going to do do, and then you just procrastinated yeah that's heated that's me not me it was him it was him (laughs) (laughs) and then you know three years later he just gets a hold of me and he said hey if you were going to prove someone was being touched by a ghost what would you do and I think I, ra- I thought a moment and rattled off a couple of ideas. And he's like, do you want to come join me? We're going to go see if we can figure that out. And I said, sure, I'm on. And then uh, I'm bored. And then he told me that the people were going to be naked. And I was like, <laughs> wow. But then he explained it to me. And then it made sense. And I was, then I was like, all right, we're back. We're back on board again. <laughs> so that was, that was what got you uh, in, involved is once you heard people were going to be naked. Well, no, I had to think, well, <laughs> yes and no. no. Okay. Uh, you know, I had to think about it for a, mo- a moment because like from being a scientist and then thinking about how I'm going to couple you know, my career as a scientist and people know me and to bring that. To were you paranormal. worried that? It was going to taint the image or something like that? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things I had to think about. Like, I'm a scientist. Now I'm going to jump in and be a, you know, paranormal and try to apply science to that and then explain that to my friends that are scientists. I don't know. For a moment, I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. But then when you put it together where you have this empirical evidence of a human saying it had an experience and then you try to couple that with scientific data, it makes sense. It starts to actually build a picture. And then I was like, you know what? I love the challenge I'm in. So from your background, was there uh, a, a way, uh, a method that you proposed to Ross in order to go about trying to prove what he's out to prove? Yeah, so he brought me in, of course, and I looked at what he was working on. So the biggest thing is just applying, truly applying the scientific method, you know, knowing that you have a baseline, you have these things that you can put against your experiments so that you can try to discern which data is more important or more important or if it's even important. And so I saw his process, and he was very methodical about everything, his placements of stuff, and he was doing. He had his own specter system going. And, you know, when I saw it wasn't just ghost hunters, you know, ghost hunting thing. Like you see on TV. Yeah, he's, like, legit trying to do stuff. I was like, all right, now we can apply data collecting to that method. Because that was the thing. If his method's wrong and I can't apply data collecting, then we'd have to figure out how to build a method to Mm -hmm. collect data. Well, Ross knows from doing enough ghost investigations, like with EVPs, there's a certain uh, amount of you know clearing out or canceling out what is obviously a human voice or something. So did you guys 
eventually reach a point where you were trying to cancel certain things out, uh, you know, to remove it from your data set so you had a, you know, a more finite uh, experiment? So um, EVPs are a little bit different. We have, we're still working on experiments. We have some ideas to try to get to EVPs, but... You know, the data we got was uh, more of environmental sensors and looking at the space, seeing if there's any heat signatures, movement, any of that from different sensors. And so... Yeah, you have to be prepared for anything because, yeah. you know, when you're dealing with the paranormal, you never know what's going to happen. So as we're doing these experiments, trying to get whatever's there to touch our subjects, other things are happening. You know, we're capturing EVPs, you mm-hmm. know, they're seeing things, uh, they're hearing things, things yeah. are being, you know, thrown at them. So it's uh, always trying to be prepared and capturing that phenomena as well, just to show that there is something happening when we're doing these experiments. And if we can get touched, that's a bonus. (laughs) That's a bonus. (laughs) Uh, Be careful what you ask for. Uh, And and you did get touched, Chad, and I want you to uh, tell us about that. But, Ross, I want you to give us a little bit more detail as much as you can about this uh, event that kind of tipped you off in this direction, this person who reached out to you and said, hey, look, something happened to me. What was that something? Well, he, he was fondled in a brothel. And again, it was just this intimate experience. And I wanted to see if I could prove that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really got the balls rolling. And no pun intended there. But anyways, I wanted to figure out what is going to or how are we going to prove this? And so that's when I came with various different uh, experiments. Mm-hmm. And um, I, again, it was just still very limited on what I was able to prove, even with my specter system that I had put together. I'd been working with for about 20 years because I had all these ideas and all these different sensors that I was using that was not being used in the paranormal field. And after I, I started getting some interesting results, I, I wanted to take it further. And that's when I called on Chad and we sat down and we thought, you know, gosh, how can we, you know, advance the system? Because, you know, we were just getting one element of data and, you know, me and Chad started thinking, you know, it'd be nice if we could see exactly what's happening around the subject. And that's where he said, well, what we need is multiple, you know, specters. And that's where we developed the four of them, and we now, you know, have them around the subject. Uh-huh. You know, you got north, east, south, west, and now you can actually see what's happening around these subjects. Almost like a 365-degree view. Exactly. And you need that, right, you if do. you're trying you to recreate yeah. Uh, yeah, you need what to, happened. And we need to collect it quick. You know, we're collecting data really, really fast, but we're finding even what we, we have, we're only having a few data points. So the resolution of it... Is still pretty mm-hmm. granular, and we need to work on that. But so, Chad, did you believe in ghosts? Did you believe in the paranormal? Were you on the fence? Were you a partial believer? Were you a total skeptic? What what mindset of that describes you? I was, you know, I'd had some experiences that I, uh, you know, I wondered about. I was ill once, and you know, I had a presence of what felt like it was my grandfather. Next Feel like to it me. was healing you? Yeah, yeah. Like, and when I left, that that presence kind of left me as I left the hospital, and so I, I had that. And then coming into it, you know, with him, I was like, you know, I've had this experience, but I don't know. So yeah, I was somewhere on the fence, uh, you know, and I kind of had to be a little bit neutral. I tried to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we're looking at stuff, I'm not getting too connected to things. I'm just trying to, like, keep the experiences. Are you more of a believer now with the experiments that have been done? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, leaning toward, like, it's, yeah, the experience, I got scratched, right? I mean, that's one of the physical things that happened that we're talking about, and you see in the trailer there that, and that, you can't really deny that something happened right then. Yeah. Now, what happened to you was not just a scratch, but there was actually blood associated with it, which which goes to prove that this happened at that moment, not something that happened before, not something that was unnoticed, but something that just happened. What was more amazing, I thought, was there was also like an audible sound that we all heard, you know, as Shannon and I heard. It was like, that's what alarmed me and like brought me to it was that sound that happened. I was like, ah, you know. And then, like can you describe pop? that sound? Yeah, it was not like a. It wasn't like I got slapped or something. It was like yeah, a staticky sound. It wasn't. If you listen, it's like to a it, static it's, pop. Yeah, it's not like a real. It's not. It doesn't seem to be consistent. Like it, I don't know, maybe a discharge of energy or something. Yeah. And you immediately felt like someone put their nails into your back, or what did you feel? No, I heard that audible sound, and then Shanna came over and looked at it, and as she was like looking at it. I could start to slowly feel the, that, that it was hurting and there was something there. Have you ever had somebody scratch like that during a paranormal investigation, Ross? Oh, yeah. That's a phenomenon that's been constantly been reported. And it was just interesting that when he had that experience, I, I was grateful because, you know, we talk about these experiences and yet, you know, we can't always prove that it was paranormal. And you always question the fact, well, maybe they rubbed up against something that they weren't, you know, paying attention to. But when you do these experiments uh, and you look over the subject, we, we both, me and Chad, look them both over and make sure that there's no marks. You know, the standard question is, do you feel any pain, you know, any burning, stinging sensations anywhere mm-hmm. on your body? And, you know, and then we sit them down. They're on cameras, 20, you know, the, all around them. There's like four or four to six cameras. Something's going to happen. You're right. going to capture it. And then when you go back after the experiments and there's a scratch there, mm-hmm. how, how, you, you can't explain that. Yeah. You know, but yet, you know, the Spectre system picked it up. Did it pick up anything else like a heat signature or anything yeah, so we had a PIR sensor on there, so that's similar to when you like walk up to someone's door and the light turns on. Okay. So it's looking for passive uh, thermal radiation signatures. And, yeah, we had those sensors go off as well. Yeah, and we also had it go off once, and uh, there was no movement on the sonics. It was just the PIR. So it doesn't always mean that every piece of data we're collecting is connected. It's you know There's other variables we need to find, I think. I was asking Karen earlier if there was anything that happened to her that, like, sent her running or screaming or vowing never to return. Any of the participants in your experiments have something happen to them yeah. in which they said, get me out of here. No thanks. I've had enough. Well, in the trailer, you you hear Nick, you know, screaming and, and running out of the prison. Covering and, his, you know yeah, what. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, uh, that was the very first time we investigated Brushy Mountain Prison. And he was terrified and he wanted to end the rest of the experiments. And so when we had the opportunity now to go back and film it more professionally, and now we have Chad on board, the new Spectre system, we decided to go back to Brushy Mountain and see if Nick will do that experiment again. Because if he has the results, you know, we have more data to collect. And he did. He went back. He was 
terrified. Um, um, but there was one thing, and we really didn't talk about it in the, in the documentary that I did notice when he did the first experiment. We called it; it's called the bitch, and this is where he actually puts lipstick on because that's what they would do if they were going to be passive for the men to protect them. And so when he did an experiment, he was very flirtatious, you know, trying to get something to, to interact with him. And that's when he saw something and he screamed running out of the prison. So then when he comes back, we do the exact same experiment. And I think his fear was kind of taking over him because he wasn't being as flirtatious as he was the first time. So he didn't have the exact same experience, but things were happening. Yeah. And then when he did the experiments in the cafeteria, that's when things got a little more interesting as well. Do ghosts like to flirt? Have you found that is the case? Or is it more like just a, a touch? It, it, it's a little bit of all kinds of different things when it comes to touch. But yes, there has been a lot of sexual type of touching. And, and I kind of question that as well. And I think maybe that's just one of those things that they miss. You know, it's a constant need as, as a human being. You, 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 you like that. You desire that. And now when you're on the other side, you don't get to have those you know, feelings. So maybe it's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, self-gratification for the maybe. ghost as well. Maybe. Very interesting. Uh, one of your subjects had bruises that uh, transpired, but not immediately. No, yeah, that was uh, another interesting experiment where we had a female in the Seattle underground. And uh, she actually wasn't a believer either in ghosts. And something grabs her leg twice. And uh, it terrified her. And then later as she was, you know, getting dressed and, and stuff, and we had, we had taken some time because we had a bunch of experiments going on. So she had uh, hung out with us for quite a few hours after her experiment because she needed to cool off and, and stop and think about what she had just experienced. And she was uh, scared to go home alone. Yeah, she was scared to go home alone. And then the fact of the matter is when she was getting dressed, that's when she noticed these red marks on her leg. And it was just the, the, it started to bruise. Hmm. Yeah. The USS Turner Joy, you also did one of these experiments on that ship. I know you've talked to us about that briefly. You actually joined us on one of our shows from the USS Turner Joy, from my recollection, a couple of years ago. Tell us about the history involved with that. Well, the USS Turner Joy is a, a retired Navy destroyer, and it is a museum ship now. And for the past, gosh, I think about 10 years now, we've been doing public ghost hunts there. And um, we've actually had our own opportunities to do some investigations. And um, there is definitely some interesting phenomena where, you know, people will see sailors uh, wandering through the ship, uh, a lot of strange noises. And, uh, of course, uh, a figure, a dark figure sitting down in the engine room. But some of the most interesting phenomena that we've ever captured is the EVPs. I mean, we're talking like Class A EVPs. Where uh, one audible, you can totally tell what's being said back and forth, and maybe even some responses. Exactly, that's what you mean by class A, right? Yeah, definitely. And there was uh, one time where um, one of the reports is that you'll hear whistling, and there was a team of just a, a male and female team, and they were in the room where you'd hear that whistling, and they and the male actually heard something. He heard what sounded like a whistle, and he turns to the woman. And he says, "You know, was that you?" 
And, and she's like, no, it wasn't me. And he's, he begins to tell her, you know, just control your breathing. Make sure, you know, because sometimes when you breathe through your nose, you can make a whistle noise. And he thought that might have been it. And right when he starts to talk about that, you can clearly hear on the recording a voice say, it's me. You know, just like that. Uh, identifying that it was whoever it is made that noise. Did you get a name? We actually later asked, you know, um, did you die on the ship? Do you know someone that died on the ship? And you clearly hear a, a voice say, Greenlee. Mm-hmm. And we do know that there was at least six men that served on the ship with the last name Greenlee. Interesting. So the history fascinates you just as much as, as the ghost activity. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, Chad, uh, what needs to happen to refine the or to, you know, find get down to the nitty gritty when it comes to the data and and really be able to use that to to answer some of these uh, additional questions like you know do the ghosts prefer men women um certain age groups that sort of thing what what's the next steps with this project well we really need to get serious about figuring out what data we think is important and then figure out how to collect that data and get it all together so things like you said male female we're gonna we're looking at trying to figure out different uh, ways of tracking, you know, we were going to track stress levels, heart rates, you know, pulse, mm-hmm. pulse ox, how much oxygen, all those things we're trying to build out. So we're trying to get more data from the, the person and their experience and the environment. And we've got some new environmental uh, stuff we're looking at, too. So, I mean, it's just more data, 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 data. It's all about data. Folks can find the uh, f- film at touchedbyghost.com, and it's now streaming. It is on uh, scarenetwork.tv. That's Ross Allison, Chad Goodwin, TouchedByAGhost.com. It's Parasense, The Naked Experiments, and we're here live at the Oregon Ghost Conference. I'm Jeremy Scott, and we'll be right back. Think you've heard it all? Just wait until Into the Parabnormal continues. of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. It is good to have you with us here somewhere between abnormal and parabnormal. June Lundgren, a psychic median, an animal communicator, a healer, a nurse, a demon seer, an author. She's a consultant with Northwest Paranormal Investigative Team. She comes from a long line of psychic women mentored by her maternal grandmother. She has learned at an early age to use her gifts to help others. And as a psychic medium, June communicates with those on the other side to help the living find answers in peace 
and she's also talked to animals since she was a child. Hi, June. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So you're what is known as a demon seer. That's your website, demonseer.com, and folks will notice you have a lot of books under that title as well, Um, and that is a term that maybe some folks might not be familiar with. So what is a demon seer? Um, It comes from the Gaelics, the uh, Irish people. And a demon seer is someone who can see, hear, communicate with, and remove or kill demons. So you come at not just from a, a one of those aspects as, as other psychic mediums. They may not have all of those aspects. They may have to bring somebody in to do the banishing. Right. They can't. Most people, that's not their forte. It's not what they do. It's my specialty. I've been doing it. For 40 some years now when we think of sear we think of like a steak on the grill and we're going to sear it um i don't think you're putting these demons over a hot grill but uh explain the sear part is it just something where um they, they just don't want to come in contact with you because you have this ability to shut them down a seer is someone, it comes from med- medieval times. Uh-huh. A seer is someone who is a prophet, someone who can look into the future, someone who can see. It's a psychic, basically. And what I do is I can see them. I know when they're coming before they even come. I can get into their minds. I can pull the information out of the demon's mind. You know, what attracted it to the individual, what it's been doing to the individual, mm-hmm. and why it's even there if you tell somebody how they attracted one of these uh one of these demons or or, or attachments uh do they agree that that's maybe where they where they got it from 99.9 percent of the time no they don't have a clue as to where they got it's it kind from. of like covid right yeah right up right up there with it <laughs> don't make me go there okay fair enough um so what tell us about this ability and 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 who contacts you what kind of situations they're in and then and then how does this actually manifest on your part uh, since i was a child i've been able to see demons it was at around five years of age that i actually saw them in a different way before that i was seeing them as most humans do i was seeing them either as a blob or a mass or like a shadow person after I turned five, around the time I turned five, I started seeing them in their true form. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, who raised me, asked, you know, Michael, the archangel, who was with me since birth, why do I see them that way? And I told, he says, it's because you're seeing them through the eyes of, of an angel. You're not seeing them through human eyes. And I didn't think anything more about it. And Michael told me, I want you to watch these things. I want you to learn how they work. I want you to learn what they do and how they affect people. So as a kid, you're like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. It wasn't until I went to the other side when I died in a motorcycle accident in 1988 when I understood and learned what was within me. When I died, I went to the other side, and Michael was waiting for me. And he said, you know, you you are not just the human shell that you are. He says, your body was created to hold the soul of Ariel the Archangel. He said, you were specifically created for that, so that she can do the God's work in the physical world, 
so that she can remove, she's a demon slayer, so that she can remove demons in the physical world and help mankind. I'm like, really? You couldn't give me something fun and exciting? <laughs> no, you have to give me that stuff. Whatever. <laughs> so were you given this role like before birth, do you believe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like I said, they. this is 131st lifetime. And of of yourself of, of Ariel being reincarnated so as June Lundgren yeah in one of her this previous is, this lives in one of her she's been reincarnated in all these different lifetimes but people don't understand it's like we're not really two separate entities we're one the physical body was created to house the soul that mm-hmm. belongs to her and so that's why I can remove a demon in a second or two because it's, they, it's that fast, it's like that snap fast. your fingers fast. It's that fast. Because they fear her. In the war between heaven and hell, mm-hmm. you know, Michael disarmed Lucifer and Ariel disarmed his son. And so they really, they really fear her because she is, if she was in the physical world as a role, she would be an elite sniper, an elite Navy SEAL sniper. That's how good she is. She doesn't. She has immense words. She hates demons. She would rather kill them as look at them. So how do these demons appear to you? Do you, do you see them like manifest physically or, or what? I see them with my third eye. When people see, when human, normal humans see a demon, they reach into your mind. They pull out your image of what a demon should look like, and they make you see it. Only magnified about 10 times to elicit the most fear that they can. They can't do that with me. When I see them, I see them in their true form. They're about seven feet tall, 12 foot wingspan, coal black. They have almost no distinguishable features on their face. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's distinguishable is their eyes. And old demons have yellow eyes and the younger, lesser demons have red eyes. And when you look into their eyes, you see every evil that you can imagine and then some. It's the type of thing that will give you, you'll never be the same. What word do you use to describe what you're doing? Is it like banishing, cleansing, uh, entity removal? I actually kill them. You kill demons. I actually kill them. Demons can be killed. And so in your third eye, do you stop seeing them when they're dead? Is that yes. how you know that they no, are no I, longer? No, I see them as because I, Ariel creates a white light sword. And with it, she slices through them. And when she does, they turn into like sand and it's spread among the stars. And dematerialize. Yeah, I actually see it happen. It's kind of cool. Actually. Have you ever had one of these like come back? No. When, when they're dead, they're dead. Demons have fears. Demons have weaknesses. In my book, The Dark Side of the Paranormal, I talk about that. And one of their fears is death. Because Mm -hmm. when they die, they cannot return. Because there are demons that have been given names Mm -hmm. over the years. Oh, sure. Um, And so what you're saying is if you were to cross paths with one of those demons and kill it, Mm -hmm. nobody is ever going to have... Uh, an, an encounter with that specific demon. Exactly. So now the question is, uh, if you kill one, is there one ready there to take its place? Sure. So it, it's you're literally playing catch-up. There up. are over 800,000 demons, eh, give or take. So how many have you killed? In this lifetime, 
close to about 4,000 in this lifetime. And in previous lifetimes? Probably more than that in the previous lifetimes. So June Lundgren is responsible for for (laughs) diminishing the, the population of demons. Yes. Used to be in the old days, she would just send them back into the dark. Gotcha. But they've gotten to the point where they're out of control. So God said, you know, from now on, you're going to kill them because they're out of control. They are going crazy. They are causing so much harm to the humans. We can't, we can't put up with that. Yeah. So what is it like to live with demons? Uh, if somebody's listening, you know, they, they may just think someone has a bad attitude, but they, possibly they could be possessed. If, you're, if it, you have a demonic attachment, then what, what happens is your finances go in the toilet, your health starts declining, mm-hmm. um, you, know, you start becoming isolated from your support system, those who care about you are pushed out, pushed away from you. They want to isolate you. They want to make you vulnerable so that they can control you. Yeah. And that's how they work. And eventually, when they get through having fun with you, they'll leave or they may end up killing you. Do you find that people are not aware that they're living with these demons? Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of or do times. They suspect a lot it? of times they'll think, you know, I'm, I'm a jinx, I have a curse, there's a black cloud hanging over me. And it's like, no, 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 honey, you have a demon. No problem. No problem for you, maybe problem for them. Yeah. And then it's, you know, because when I, if somebody suspects there's something going on in their life like that, you know, and they get a hold of me, if they send me a picture of a location or of an individual or even an animal, I, I know exactly what's there. I know its name. I know how it found them. I know what it's doing to them because I can reach into the demon's mind. Mm-hmm. It's not a pretty sight. (laughs) I would imagine not. So how do you identify negative entities versus something that uh, is is not negative, may just be a ghost, um, you know, just hanging out? Quite simple. If if it's a demonic, if it's an inhuman, there are certain things. You'll see infestations. You'll have putrid smells. like I said, you, your life will go in the toilet, mm-hmm. and whereas if it's and you'll feel cold within the core of your body, has nothing to do with the hundred degree temperature outside. If it's a ghost, you're going to get cold spots. You know, it's going to raise the hair on the back of your neck. You know, things like that, and they're a pain in the butt, but. Other than that... Because no. we talked about noisy ghosts earlier, so I'm trying to differentiate the, the noisy ghosts from the demons because there are noisy ghosts oh, yeah. who are poltergeist uh, yeah. who also want to yeah, well, wreak havoc. Poltergeist comes from the German word meaning noisy ghost. And it's, you know, they do things like that. Whereas the demons cut to the chase. They start growling at you. They start... Scratching you, knocking on the doors, mm-hmm. knocking, clicking sounds in series of three to mock the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that they're essentially baiting you. They're, you know, making your life a living hell. And I've had people that the one woman was possessed for 20 years. 
And that was, you know, that's horrible. I mean, she finally found me to get help. Most of the people that I talk to say we've been searching for years for somebody to help me. Yeah. You know, years. I mean, I seven years, ten years. You know, people have been living with this and dealing with it and trying to deal with it. But it doesn't just affect the individual it's attached to. It affects everyone within their circle. Mm-hmm. It even, you know, they can like make make your car break down. They can make your roof fall in. <laughs> they can throw you down the stairs. They can trip you. They can reach in and grab your heart and squeeze it until it feels like you're going to have a heart attack. Uh, have there ever been any cases then of uh, intervention that has led to serious harm or death that you know of? Me intervening? No, the, the demon trying to uh, oh, yeah. crush someone's heart. Oh, yeah. A uh, friend of mine, Aaron, Aaron Collins, mm-hmm. you know, he's an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. He went with me on a uh, – he wanted to go with me on a removal. So I took him with me to a place in Battleground, Washington. There was a, an old demon entombed in the ground. And – I knew where the demon was, so I headed up the stairs. He's behind me, and his wife's with us. And I, the demon reached in and started squeezing his heart. It was a crushing pain. He was like, you know, having a heart attack. Yeah. And I reached over and slapped the demon away. And then it tried to push his wife down the stairs. I'm like, you know what? So you have a choice of whether or not to just kill one or not. So in this case, you didn't, what, want to kill it at first because it was no. just being pesky? No, it was just a matter of it, w- it can reach out from a distance mm-hmm. and do this stuff. It doesn't have to be standing in front of me and do it. And I knew where it was. It was located upstairs in one of the bedrooms. And once I got it cornered, then... I told her, I said, why are you here? Why are you buried in the ground? Because I've run across these ones before, and I've just out and out killed them, so I don't have to worry about that. But I was curious, why are you, you know, entombed in the ground? And he wasn't going to tell me, and then Michael and Gabriel popped in and grabbed him on both sides, and, and they said, tell her. And it told me that it had been given an assignment by Lucifer, and it failed to do the assignment so lucifer was so mad that he entombed it in the ground um there's one in there's one under the rock i've been there on a night investigation i'm like there's a demon down there it's entombed in the rock alcatraz it's like it's not gonna go away i'm not taking it out i'm just gonna leave it there but as long as it remains entombed there there will other demons will be attracted and will go and that's why there's so many of them there. So it's not killing demons for the sake of killing demons. It's killing demons who are problems. Yeah. Creating problems for people. Yeah. They're uh, abusing people, causing problems, um, maybe abusing, killing animals. I was called in on a case where the family had had the bird. They had it like a macaw. And the demon had twisted its head completely around, broke its neck. Hmm. A rat was pulled through pet rat was head was pulled through the bars there's no way that feasible that it could have got through the bars yeah. and then they were working on the, the service dog and you came in and uh, the dog's okay yeah dog's okay okay <laughs> i killed i killed it the demon <laughs> 
Uh, as far as protecting oneself from demonic attachment, I know folks are, uh, you know, kind of ritual when they move into homes with, you know, stuff like sage and yeah. even salt. Yeah. Does that yeah. work against demons? Um, you can sage. That will get rid of negative energy, not negative entities. Mm-hmm. It will if they're human, but not if they're demonic. If you have a house which you suspect has demonic activity in it, and you sage it, the activity is going to ramp up massively because, A, they know that you're aware of them, and, B, they know you're trying to get rid of them. And it'll just ramp up. When somebody calls me for help and I make an appointment to come see them, the activity will ramp up 100%. Because they know you're coming. Because they know I'm coming. And they know they don't like you. Yeah. Uh, so if you use the wrong thing, can that actually make the attachment worse? It can because you'll irritate the demon. About The only things that will help you will be a crucifix with the image of Jesus on it or, you know, if, if you're Jewish, the Star of David. Uh, anything that you put faith in like that, that will help to ward them off. Uh, holy water over the doors and windows with a prayer. Um, anointing oil, same thing. Um, I created a black salt. The recipe was given to me by uh, Michael, the archangel, and Jesus. And in the 40 years I've been using it, it has never failed. It will seal a home. It will protect against anything negative, human or inhuman. And it hasn't failed in 40 years. Interesting. So I think I asked you earlier about the difference between a, a ghost and a demon. But what about negative ghosts because there are some ghosts Mm -hmm. who may masquerade as demons that happened um up in vancouver there was a children's theater they called me in on they said you know we have this seven foot tall shadow man that's you know just terrorizing the kids you know backstage and so i go down there and i'm like okay so i go in there and it's like the shadow man like comes out and I'm like, really? Really? You know, you're a short, fat, balding man. Why are you showing yourself as a shadow person? He's like, I never got any respect in life. I'm sure as heck going to get it in death. I'm like, no, you're not, because I'm sending you home. You need to go. Yeah. Not, not be here. They can make, as a ghost, can put into your mind the image of what they want you to see of them as well, because it's all done telepathically. My, is that what's happening with your third eye, maybe, with mm-hmm. the, the demons? Is they're controlling that, they what they want you to they see? They can control what they want you to see normally, but they can't do it with me because I see through them. I see, I see through angelic eyes, so I see the true image of them. Very, very interesting. June, tell us about your website, about your books, about what services you offer for folks who might have a demonic attachment or they think they have a d- demon at play. I, my website is demonseer.com, also mysticconnections.org, O-R-G, and I do demonic removals, I do intuitive readings, I do clearings, I do cleansings. Um, my books are available on amazon.com, and my new book is, be, my new ebook is out, Demon Seer, The Awakening, and it'll be out in print next week. Demon Seer, The Awakening. If you're interested in dark stuff, the dark side of the paranormal book, it talks about, you know, the demons, their weaknesses, how they work, 
uh, their fears, because demons do have fears. And it's really insightful. And people buy it in Europe, and I've had so many people come to me saying, this helped me. It made me aware of what was going on and and seek help. And a lot of people that come to me, you know, have read my book or listened to a podcast. You know, they're like, I found you by a podcast or I found you by, you know, your name just popped up out of nowhere. You know, things like that. June, we appreciate you so much for joining us here at the Oregon Ghost Conference. Thanks for having me. June Lundgren, DemonSeer.com is her website. And we will continue our live broadcast here from Seaside right after this, ladies and gentlemen. the way for ships to see where they're going during a misty day or even a strong storm. Although the state has 11 lighthouses total, folklore, legend, and paranormal activity are connected to five of the main watchtowers of the coast. Now known today as a bed and breakfast in Florence, Hasita Head, built in 1894, has the strongest light on the coast shining more than 24 miles out. But that's not all it has. Legend has it that a smoke-like figure, also known as the Lady in Grey, is lurking about the site. When encountered, however, she dissipates quickly. So next time you check in to this bed and breakfast for a night or two, you may not be the only one in your room. Yaguina Head is Oregon's tallest lighthouse, standing at 93 feet tall, located near Newport, also known as Cape Foulweather. Although a beautiful place, rumor has it when the keeper Herbert Higgins tried to light the lantern, he collapsed and died before he could complete the process. Herbert now haunts the place, seeking revenge because of his lantern-lighting folly on unsuspecting guests to this very day. Another legend, Cape Mears, is spooky not only because of its location near the octopus tree in Tillamook, a mysterious tentacle-like shaped tree, but because of the native tribe that would bury their dead inside that tree. Stranger things have happened around the leading lights. Like the Tillamook Rock, built on jagged ground, darkness consumes the surrounding area. The story is that a phantom ship of lost souls has been seen near the beacon after the ship wrecked into the tower's construction. Lastly, Yaquina Bay started up in 1871 and closed its doors in 1874, was mainly a sea museum and attracted many visitors. This light vessel became part of popular local lore about a teenage girl named Muriel who lost her life while being chased by pirates and was said to be seen wandering the beaches. Unfortunately, it later turned out to be a fictional story written by a local author, but who knows, being it was only open three short years. Still, when walking the beaches late at night, keep an eye on those eerie lighthouses, as the light may not be the only thing staring back at you. This is Daniel Brewer. Into the Paranormal. 
Jeremy Scott live from the Oregon Ghost Conference here in Seaside. We've got Teresa Carroll with us. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Jeremy. TeresaCarroll.com, her website. She's an internationally known psychic who has visited over 29 countries to study with shamans, healers, and spiritual masters. She does reading and healings for those looking to improve the quality of their lives or develop their spiritual gifts. And she's also an adorn, an, an ordained minister of the Universal Life Church. She performs weddings, funerals, other spiritual rites of passage as well. Welcome to the Ghost Conference. Well, thank you. This is, I've come every year that we've been active, so I guess this is year 10 for me. Year 10, yes it is here. It's good to be back here in Seaside after a couple of years off. Uh, We were talking with June just a moment ago. I know you heard our conversation uh, about unwanted visitors. Uh, We were primarily talking about uh, demons with her, but we can expand that wider here. How do uh, you deal as as a psychic with unwanted visitors? Well, one of the things I have found is that um, like attracts like. And I work on a vibrational level where I really try to empower people. And mostly the kind of energies that come around me are empowering our individuals that are on the other side that want to help to assist yes i have seen my fair share in the over 40 years of things that we probably wouldn't want to deal with but everything out there is part of a natural cycle and you may not like alligators or vultures or slugs but they're part of a natural cycle and so once you understand what they are and how to be appropriate with them there really isn't a lot of of difficulty it's when we get reactive or i mean you if you're prodding a r- rattlesnake you're going to get bit or if you're picking up um a, a rat and swinging it around by its tail you're going to get hurt it's it's just a lot of common sense in many ways and i think uh, people get a little caught in superstition reaction and just don't calm down and look at things objectively or they put everything in the same box because maybe that was an explanation for a previous event they come back to that as the explanation each and every time yes and the thing is only five percent of anything out there is a ghost um there's everything from earth spirits um interdimensional beings ghosts uh, fairies all sorts of stuff out there a lot of it is relatives people that have chosen not to move on suicides there's all sorts of stuff out there and like you say if you if you just put it all in one box you really don't get to understand and comprehend but there's just a lot of diversity of things out there you mentioned natural cycle, and tomorrow on the broadcast, we're actually going to be talking a little bit more about whether or not ghosts die off, whether they have a lifespan, whether or not there are certain things that cause them to act up. What's your take? Do goats ev- eventually die off? Do they have a lifespan? My understanding, and I've written a book on this, is that they are fragmented aspects of the mind in other words there's a higher conscious mind a conscious mind and a subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is more like the memory it does not think it does not reason it doesn't even have an awareness it just stores information and works from an automatic place Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't get the memo that the individual has died it fractures and continues to live as if 
it is alive and that's what you see. It's like um, when you turn on a television and the channel comes through, you can change the channel, but that doesn't mean the signal isn't running from the other channels. Correct. Yeah. And so it's a signal that's still playing out with no receptor and sensitive people can see it. And how it resolves is eventually something happens that reunite the three levels of consciousness and it moves on. You can actually do that. You can actually um, send it to the light or however you want to ask. Normally it's very simple. You say, when you see it, you identify it, you say, someone's looking for you. They're calling you. Normally it looks and some aspect from another dimension opens up and pulls it through and it's gone. It's that quick and that easy. Wow, very interesting. Uh, so you understand, uh, had, had an emotional trauma that yes. happened to you and it was through that process that you d- d- uh, discovered you had this gift? Is that right? Yes, I, I would not have believed I was psychic before then, but once I had um, a vision, I was just... I was dying of cancer is basically it. And I got angry at God, went through a whole thing where I was going to suicide. And that kind of led to a vision. And in that vision, I was offered the opportunity to serve God, which at that point in my life was kind of like, well, I'm a Christian. What's this about? It didn't make sense to me. But I was told if I did this, I would have an extraordinary life. And I have. I've had a life that very few people have ever lived. Do you mind sharing some of those experiences with us? Oh, well, I've been buried to my neck in Chile, um, down in the the country of Chile, and worked with shamans who did spiritual work. As a ritual? As a ritual. It was like a... I guess you would say a soul searching for three days. I was buried alive. I also have been with shamans in Peru and been in Akiva. Linda here was there with me in one of them. Uh, I have been to now it's 30 countries and met with shamans, hunas, medicine men. I was in Bali, Indonesia, flew to Bora de Bora and was on one of the locusts. Uh, the largest Buddhist temples in the world and a bunch of Buddhist monks came up and danced with me around the temple and then they discovered something about me which I couldn't speak their language I couldn't figure it out but they all gave me very nice gifts and gave me blessings and took me to another temple I've, I've just had these phenomenal experiences of being welcomed into shamanic communities, into spiritual communities, and just having incredible visions and healing gifts given to me. You use numerology as right in, as well in some of your readings, right? All the time, yes. Numerology has always been fascinating to me. Uh, there's college basketball going on right now. There was the Super Bowl not too long ago. A lot of people want to know how the numbers like add up so they can, I don't know, go through some money on a craps table or whatever it is. Um, Do you find that um, numerology uh, actually explains a lot of what's, you know, at play? Well, numerology is almost like a language in itself. It's a vibrational thing. Like you take your name, Jeremy, it starts with a J. 
and it's the second rung of the alphabet because we go from one to nine and then we come back and your letter is the tenth, which would be a one because it's one plus zero reducing back to a one. And so it's a one vibration. So you're independent, you're, um, you're self-contained, you're dynamic, and you're going to find that the E's make you restless, playful, adventurous. Those are your fives, but it ends in a Y and Y is a seven. So you will question, analyze, and want to comprehend everything you see. So when you have the vibrations, you can read anything. You can just know a person almost immediately uh, by knowing their name. And so, you know, when you're, you're talking about numbers and how they come up, the patterns seem to tell us what we need to either experience or what we're taking in in the moment as far as the experience. Um, the letters of a name or the letters of even a telephone number will give you great insight of how to deal with someone. With you, you're going to have questions. With someone else, it may be, don't give me all that. Get to the point, move on. Get to the point, move on. All right. When you came up higher on stage, you kind of leaned over here, and I thought you were, like, picking hair off my shirt. What did you see when you sat up here on stage with me, Teresa? Well, I was looking through your auric field at your associate in the background and trying to look to see what was with him, and I saw a woman with him, and... As I did, I could see spikes. They looked like uh, one of those sea anemones with all the spikes coming out. Okay. And it was golden light. And I haven't seen... That's a good thing, right? I haven't seen one of these before. What? I have not seen one of these before. Uh, As far as being good or bad doesn't make something... I think that's a human qualification. It's like, is a vulture bad or good? It's a personal preference, basically. It's a natural occurrence. And I do feel like somewhere today, maybe in all the energy, you pick something up from someone. Something good, right? That's what you're telling me, Teresa, right? Or are you telling me it's going to be a long night? (laughs) Well, whatever it was, I removed it from you because it wasn't part of your auric field. And I felt like if it stayed there, it could cause you either to feel very hyper or very reactive. And it just didn't feel like a matched energy with yours. So I pulled it off and, and did it, did it, did you feel that it had any certain characteristics with it? Yes. It was very spiny, which gave it a sense of almost biting. There was a sarcasm with it when I touched it as if it was critical. Sounds about right. And I, I felt like after a while you might find yourself getting snippy with others, irritable, and I felt like it was out of alignment. I normally would have asked you, but since we're all being very playful here, I took the liberty. I appreciate that very much. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, What are some of the other tools, I think? I think I'm going to thank you for that. I I guess I'll check back with you tomorrow. But no, what are some of the other tools that you use? Uh, We mentioned numerology, but you've got a lot of other tools, as uh, we're hearing a lot about tools in the tool belt these days. I... I feel like my strongest is shamanism because I have studied with shamans all over the world and I've learned things that you won't learn in the United States from the from Peruvian people in Chile, Mexico, uh, England even. I have studied with uh, spiritual healers and such. I love the tarot. The tarot is something that 
is just an extraordinary, almost like a psychological tool. It gives me insights to what motivates people, why they do what they do, and what it would take for them to transcend bad habits or bad behaviors. Um, I do dreams. I do astral travel. I worked with the military for a while doing remote viewing. I just, I've dabbled with almost everything you can think of, but my favorite seems to be the tarot numerology and shamanism. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that remote viewing work? Well, I was invited down um, to a a military installation to do some um, research with the remote viewing. They had this idea that if uh, Air Force officers could be taught to do this and they were they were doing it and doing it well that maybe psychics could do it even better so they brought in about I believe there were 15 of us psychics from around the United States who were brought in and trained into the remote viewing the way that the, um, the Air Force does it and we we did the training for a little bit and we we had pretty good success with what we were doing but then the budget didn't come through, so that was closed up. So no more, uh, no more remote viewing work. Uh, but did you, did, do you, do you still find yourself doing a little bit of that today, or are you focused uh, more on the other methods? Um, I do it mostly when there's a lost person. I I find that I'm very accurate, but it's not always as helpful as we want it to be. And when I say that, there was a man um, that disappeared, and. I'm from the Tacoma area below Seattle in, in Washington, and he disappeared from that area. And I said, well, he's in eastern Washington, and I could see the road. I named the road. I described the car. The doors were open. I could actually go into the car. There was water in the back seat. All this stuff was very accurate. And I said, you're going to find him. He's sitting by a small creek with his back against um, a little tree and I'm very sorry but he's passed over and I said I see a utility van coming up parking behind him wondering why these doors are open checking things out and then seeing him by the tree and calling the paramedics all of that was 100% accurate that was exactly how it happened. And I visually was there. I touched the man. I could have described him. I was very much aware of him. The only thing is, is when I'm saying Eastern Washington and I'm saying, you know, this boulevard, because he was from the Tacoma area, there's a lot of places with that name in the eastern area. So it took him a long time to find him. And the way they found him was when a utility person had was going down this road mm-hmm. with the name. I don't even remember the name of the road now, but that was the name of the road and discovered him. So everything was exactly as I viewed it. And I viewed it three days prior to it happening. Mm-hmm. When you were involved in the shamanic activities, uh, were there any uh, substances that uh, helped kind of enhance the experience? Sometimes we hear those in shamanic uh, circles or whatnot. Well, ayahuasca is very popular, but honestly, for me, 
I don't use substance. It's always been that when I do readings, I don't do any sort of alcohol until afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never been a drug user. I've always wanted to do ayahuasca, but every time I get that situation set up so that I might have a a spiritual experience like that, something happens and it falls through. Like it's not meant to be. Exactly. And sometimes, uh, you know, you have to listen to those messages, don't you? Yes. Well, I know that because I get so much information all the time, that it probably would be a little overloading for me. But I still, every once in a while, I think it would be fun to do an ayahuasca. So are you able to turn this ability on and then turn it off? Or is it 24-7, 365? It's 24-7, 365, as you say. However, it, it, it has become so integrated. It's just, it's kind of like you hearing the birds singing, noticing your friends talking in the background, uh, hearing the radio. It's something that I can kind of filter down a little bit and then focus up on if I want. I meet everyone I meet. I see what their auras look like. I know um, where their heart is, what's going on with them, whether I want to or not. But it's kind of like walking up to somebody and noticing they're wearing black clothing after a while is just what you do, but you don't put a lot of thought or focus into it anymore. Otherwise, I would be overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to then kind of, I guess, compartmentalize. Is that a accurate way of saying it? File stuff away so you don't get overwhelmed with this ability? I think it's more a matter of focus, of where I put my focus. Um, when I meet somebody, I, I ask myself, what's important to them and what is it they really need because my focus in life is empowering people so if I make it about me I miss them so I just kind of cut through and what what do they need and when I get the sense of they they need more attention they need a break they need whatever then I kind of steer the conversation and let them hear themselves so to speak Um, And often things around them will give me insights to what's really going on with them. But unless they ask me, I have this kind of joke, you have to pay me to mind your business. (laughs) Um, Unless they ask me, I try not to be intrusive and start, you know, picking things off through. But I'm guessing in in your travels, people know your background and they kind of start opening up and, and asking you questions. Always, yes. And so in that case, you, you kind of you kind of have to address it uh, in the moment, right? Yeah. I, I find that I, I have to be conscientious because otherwise then it's kind of like when I was younger, I would go out with my girlfriends and I'd spend the whole time working because everybody wanted to make me read and tell and do. And so I wasn't having my own life. I was... I was caught in this constant performance. It wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. So I just kind of sometimes will say, um, you know, I want to have a drink. I will not read somebody when I'm drinking. And therefore, here's my number. Give me a call and we'll do this another time. So I've had to learn some healthy boundaries for myself and for others. Absolutely. Boundaries are are what everybody needs in order to make this go round. Uh, Teresa, tell tell us about your website and your books and what you offer and where folks can find more information about you. Um, My website is my name, www.teresacarroll.com. Teresa doesn't have an H in it, and Carol is like a woman's first name. Uh, 
what I offer as far as services is helping people help themselves. I, I guess you would basically say I'm an empowerment coach. I look at people and I know what's going to bring them joy, bring them alive and make them more authentic. And I help them discover how to bring that into their lives so that they're not caught in the rat race, so to speak. Uh, my books, the first two books that are out there, um, All Spooked Up, which is a story about a ghost in my house and how I I have always taught classes on paranormal, spiritual, and psychic development and how I, I brought a class in, let them have hands-on experience with the ghost and then allowed them to go through the process of clearing out that ghost. And that was quite exciting for the class. And that that first book is that story and it has six true life um investigations in the puget sound area in the back of it and then the second book is an actual how to paranormal handbook of how to go in and actually uh clear out an environment how to make contact with a client how to set yourself up for safety how to do an interview how to do a walkthrough how to know what's out there identify it decide on the cures that you're going to do write the report and wrap it up so that you can do a complete comprehensive uh, investigation. Teresa, I'm afraid that's all the time we have, but thank you so much. TeresaCarroll.com is her website, and we'll be back Sunday at 1 o'clock. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, from the Oregon Ghost Conference, I'm Jeremy Scott. Good night, everyone.